the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Chuck always used to say, he said, if you can describe why God's blessing you, it's probably not God blessing you. Because God is just good, isn't he? He's just good. Praise to the God who reigns above. But here's the point. So that a man shall say, verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judges in the earth. That's a promise. And that's something we need to understand. God does indeed reward those who do things his way. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly and my reward's with me. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. Last time in Genesis, we saw things with Jacob's family had deteriorated as his four wives had begun to compete for best wife by providing him with multiple children. Uncle Laban tried to trick Jacob into staying and working for him, but God blessed Jacob abundantly. Uncle Laban grew very jealous. We join Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 31, verse 1. Remember, the book of Genesis, it's a a book of beginnings and instruction. Moses there out in the desert with the people of Israel, explaining to them where they came from, why they're there, who this God is, and why he is interested in them, and and, and instructing them uh, uh, of how things got started. And as we went from that massive way back in the beginning of creation, we've little by little been zeroing in on Israel. And so right now we are following, we've gone from Adam all the way down to Noah, and then we've zeroed in on Abraham to Isaac, and now we are focusing in on Jacob. And in chapter 30, of course, we see what a mess Jacob has made. He goes from one wife to four wives, and all these different kids from each of them, and a whole big just messy situation. He and Laban don't get along, and he's trying to swindle Laban, and Laban's trying to swindle him. And in chapter 31, everything comes to a head. You know, since Jacob's time with Laban, it's been every man for himself, every person for themselves. Each member of the family is trying to take advantage of the other. Leah's trying to one-up Rachel. Rachel's trying to one-up Leah. And and Laban and, and Jacob have their thing going on. But you cannot live that way without eventually experiencing consequences. You may know that. Maybe you've gone through some difficult times in your marriage where you're not doing what the Bible says and you're in it for self. And you, you realize you vent, that eventually comes to a place where you, you hit a wall and you go, what now? And at this point in chapter 31, it all comes crashing down. But, you know, into this mess of sin and, salva- and selfishness, we see the Lord. He speaks guiding Jacob toward a better way. He warns Laban not to harm Jacob. And in the end, God preserves Jacob just like he promised. But while God is gracious, sin does have its consequences. And even though Jacob is preserved, this family relationship is destroyed. And so as we look at this messy breakup between Jacob and his, his wives and Laban, you know, might it be a reminder to us that family is about humility and selflessness so that we might avoid a similar end. So Genesis 31, verse 1. Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons saying, 
Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And of that which was our father's has he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Laban starts to openly turn against Jacob. He hears rumors now from his sons saying that Jacob has taken away everything that belonged to our father. All the glory of our fathers, all the wealth and the riches, it is now his. And of course, that harkens back to verse 43 of chapter 30, where it says, And the man, Jacob, increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maid servants and men servants and camels and donkeys. His prosperity was at Laban's expense. And this had to be a rumor, of course, because remember, Laban's sons are a three-day journey removed away from him. So all of a sudden, he's starting to hear wind of these whispers. Laban's sons aren't happy with you, man. Man, they they think you've stolen everything. They don't think they got anything left for them. And so Jacob, he pays close attention the next time he sees Laban, and he beholds that his countenance, his outward appearance, his facial expressions, the way he looks at Jacob, that it is not Toward him as before. It is not favorable. Whereas before, you know, it'd be like, hey, Jacob, how are things going? And, you know, he tried to keep up the facade of, you know, the swindling going on. Now, no facade anymore. Hey, Dad, how you doing? Fine. Where's my stuff? You know, I mean, everything's changed now. His whole attitude, his whole expression is all different. It's outwardly hostile. And, you know, we will learn later in this chapter that Laban changed the terms of Jacob's wages ten times. He had tried to swindle the flock back to himself, but nothing worked. God kept blessing Jacob. But now he's not putting up a pretense of peace in public anymore. And that's not good for Jacob, and it leaves him deeply concerned. And so into that concern, verse 3, the Lord said unto Jacob, it's time to go home. Return unto the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, note... It does not say that God answered Jacob. It does not say God answered. We don't know if he was praying, but it's interesting when it would say in the previous chapter, and God hearkened unto Leah, or God hearkened unto Rachel. It does not say that here. So Jacob, there's no impression that he's turning to the Lord. We don't even still get that impression throughout this chapter. But God speaks into this bad situation and says it's time to go. We learn from verse 10 that God speaks to him in a dream after he goes to bed worried about this situation. Now, were I God and Jacob had done this, I'd have probably been like, yeah, how's this swindling going for you? It's not working out too good, is it? Ready to start doing things my way? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know the Sunday school song you sang? Might be a good idea to start living it. But the Lord doesn't do any of that. I'm so glad that the Lord graciously intervenes into my self-inflicted messes. He doesn't come and read me the riot act. He is so faithful, and he always keeps his promises. Turn over to Psalm 57 with me. Psalm 57, I just want to read verses 2 and 3. Beautiful verses. Psalm 57, verses 2 and 3 say, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performs all things for me. For he shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Isn't that an awesome promise? And when we cry unto him, he sends forth his mercy and his truth. That word there, truth, refers to his faithfulness. Mercy refers to his loyal love. That's the Old Testament word for agape. He sends forth his loyal devotion to us, his loyal love and his faithfulness. When we cry out to him. 
He was good to Jacob. He'll be good to you. Now, while God says more in the dream, it's just summed up here as a command and a promise. Return unto your homeland and I will be with you. Very simple. And, and, and I think what the Lord's trying to say to him is, you know, Jacob, there is a consequence for your sin swindling. You can't stay here anymore. It's time to go home. But what a beautiful promise into the midst of that, that God comes and says, I'll be with you every step of the way. Do you know that that's God's promise to you as well? What is it Hebrews 13, 5 says, that the Lord is our helper, that we can say the Lord is our helper because he says, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you. I think it's Hebrews 13, 5. Yeah. It says, and be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you, leave you nor forsake you, that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Isn't that an awesome promise? God is so faithful. He keeps his promises to us. Well, verse 4, Jacob, he says, okay, it's time to go. But you know, it's not just him. He's got a whole family clan he's got he's to convince. And so verse 4, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock. Now, it's sad that it took an extreme crisis for all the family to finally get together and work together, but God often uses those bad things to get our attention, doesn't he? To kind of get us focused. You know, you sober up real quick when things are going bad in your marriage or things are going bad in the family, and all of a sudden you find out one of your kids is in the hospital. You sober up real quick. I can't tell you how many times I've just been grouchy and mean and nasty, whatever, and yucky in my attitude toward the Lord, and then you get the phone call. Pastor, we were in an accident where my husband's in the hospital. And you're like, it's go time. Drop it. Drop all the attitude, all the junk, everything. There's, there's, all of it's petty now. All of it's petty now. It doesn't matter. And so he summons them out to the field. And I believe he does so because he plans to leave without telling Laban. He doesn't want word to get out. Now, God didn't tell him to do that. God didn't say, oh, but leave secretly. Don't tell him. Lie, you know, and sneak off, you know. He doesn't tell him to do that. That's all Jacob. But he's scared that if he tells Laban, that Laban won't let him go. And, and he has another worry. What if his wives don't want to leave? What if, what if they side with their father instead of him? He doesn't even know at this point if they were involved in the swindling of, of the, the wife swap and all that kind of stuff. And so he defends his, his case. Verse 5, he said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as it was before. But the God of my father has been with me. Now, here, Jacob, he doesn't say his God, his God. It's not his God yet. But at least he acknowledges that it was God's hand in all the blessings that he's experienced. But realize, Jacob has also tried to win them over. And so he's explaining, this is God's plan, not mine. He's not completely honest, but because God didn't tell him to leave secretly. But he says, God told me to go. Verse 6, he also defends his work ethic. He says, and you know that with all my power, all my strength, everything I had in me, I served your father. And your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled will be yours, your wages, then all the cattle bore speckled. If he said, well, no, the, the striped will be your hire, then they bear all the, the cattle ring straight. Thus God has taken away the cattle of your father and has given it unto me. It's interesting what Laban did. He said, you know, our initial agreement, you know, we, we talked about, you know, you said you would take the spotted. He goes, you didn't say you'd take the striped. Like, that's a difference. And so Laban was always trying to work things in his favor, but God kept blessing Jacob. Jacob appeals to his hard work here, which was true. 
He did work hard for him as another reason for them to side with him. Because unlike Laban, he hadn't cheated anybody, even though he, he wanted to. He, he, he had worked hard, but Laban had cheated him. That word there, deceive, means to cheat. He has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. And he says, God saw, and he, he rectified the situation. In the end, Jacob realizes that his breeding tactics had nothing to do with his success. He rightfully gives all the credit to God. Now, that's a good question because do we give credit to God for any of the prosperity we experience? Who do we give the credit to for our successes? Well, you know, I mean, they finally came around to my way of thinking, you know, and they put me in that position. And yeah, now look at what's going on. It's very easy to start doing that when things are rolling in. Pastor Chuck always used to say, he said, if you can describe why God's blessing you, it's probably not God blessing you. Because God is just good, isn't he? He's just good. Well, Jacob now takes the time to share his dream with them. He said, and it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived, so as they were going into heat, this last time, so this last time that it was the, the mating season for the, the cattle, he said, I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream. So this is how God told him to leave. I saw in a dream and behold, the lambs which leaped upon or were with the cattle, they were ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spoke unto me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I, I said, here am I. So right at the start of the dream, he has a dream of the, the, the animals they're, they're mating, and, and he realizes that it's a supernatural thing that God's doing. Jacob, you may have been laying down the rods, and you may have been trying to make the, the cattle stare at the striped ones when they were mating so they would give birth to it, whatever that is. He said, but that had nothing to do with it. God is showing him in this dream that the results were supernaturally influenced. And into the midst of that realization, the Lord speaks and he says unto him, Jacob, and Jacob says, here I am. And the Lord said to him, lift up now your eyes and see. All the rams which leap upon the cattle, they're striped, they're speckled, they're grizzled, because I have seen all that Laban does unto you. Do you know that God sees it? Do you know that God sees all the wrongs that are done to you? Do you know that he will right every one of those wrongs someday? I think sometimes we get so disheartened by Sometimes the circumstances we find ourselves in, and we think to ourselves, God, I don't understand. You know, I'm trying to do things the way that you want, and it just seems like everything gets worse. And it seems like everybody else who just doesn't seem to care about that, they all do well. And the people that are mean to me, they do well. And, and you know, I don't get it. I forgive them, and I'm trying to be, treat them with, 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 with gentleness and grace and kindness, and, and it just seems to get worse. Turn over to Psalm 58 with me. Psalm 58 is a hard one to swallow. And you read it, it's, it's not a fun psalm. I mean, this is David just saying, Lord, take it to my enemies. This is my devotion this morning. I'm thinking, wow, what, what's going to happen today? But you get down to verse 10, and I mean, this is rough. Now, God's not, I'm not saying God's cool with this attitude that David has. You, you have to realize the Bible's real stuff, okay? This is how David really felt. It doesn't mean it was okay. But there's a principle afterwards that I think is important. In verse 10, David says, The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. That's a little rough. Yeah, I mean, David's pretty mad at somebody right now, you know. I mean, he's really mad. <laughs> but here's the point. So that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judges in the earth. That's a promise, and that's something we need to understand. God does indeed reward those who do things his way. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly, and my reward's with me. 
And right now, maybe you think, I, you know, Asaph said the same thing. He doesn't pay to serve God, man. Hey, I, I see the, the righteous man. He strives with his life. He's trying to please God. He's trying to do things the right way. And he dies, dies a poor man. And then I see the wicked man. He gets rich and everything goes well. And he, he, you know, he lives a long life and then he dies. And he said, but then I went into the house of the Lord and I almost slipped until I remembered the end. Death isn't the end, right? It's not the end. The Lord says there is a reward for the righteous. And he is a God that judges in the earth. God does work. He does right every wrong. And he tells Jacob here, he says, Jacob, I didn't do this because you were so great. or You're so spiritual. You're so holy. I did it because what Laban was doing to you was wrong. And I righted that wrong. I took care of you. And then he reminds him in verse 13, he says, I am the God of Bethel. <clears throat> you remember that? 20 years ago, Jacob, 20 years have gone by since the Lord appeared to him at Bethel. Where you anointed the pillar and where you vowed a vow unto me. God doesn't have a bad memory. You ever notice that, how the Lord works? You know, you come to the Lord, you start praying, and he goes, hey, remember when you told me you were going to take care of this? And you're like, oh, yeah, but you know, I was like, you know, yeah. A couple months ago, I, you know, I mean, you know, times change, Lord. And he's going, not me. I want you to do this. I have found the Lord, he, when he gets on a topic, he does not move. <clears throat> he does it with me. Maybe it's just me. I don't, I'm stubborn. But when the Lord is dealing with me on something, I, I opened up, I'm reading a book on revival, and I opened up <clears throat> a chapter I was reading and, and opened it up. And, and, you know, I read the first two paragraphs and I shut it. <clears throat> well, not a book. It was on my Kindle. I turned the Kindle off. Set it down. And you know, that still small voice says, what's the problem? I say, well, well, that's, you know, what you were talking to me about yesterday. You know, I didn't really want to hear it. So, <laughs> you know, why do I want to think I want to hear it today? The Lord says, but that's why I spoke it yesterday, because I want to talk to you about this. The Lord remembers. He remembered Jacob's vow 20 years ago. He remembered him pouring oil on the rock. He remembers every detail. He reveals, I'm the same one that gave you the dream with the ladder in Bethel. And he reminds him of something important. He says, Jacob, I made you a promise on that day and I've kept it. But you made me a promise too. Look over at Genesis 28. Just a few chapters back. Genesis 28, verses 20 and 21. This is after God makes his promise. Jacob now vowed a vow, verse 20 says, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, will give me bread to eat and raiment or clothing to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And you know, the Lord says, it's time to keep that promise, Jacob. You've lived 20 years and I've kept my full end of the bargain, but you still have not entered into a relationship with me. Isn't it fascinating that he goes right for the most important thing? Jacob, yes, you're in a bad spot and I've taken care of you. You stole your brother's birthright. You deceived your father. You made a mess, but I've taken care of you just like I promised. And yes, you've made a mess here and now you need to go, but I have taken care of you and I will be with you in that too. But Jacob, the thing I want most more than anything, I want you. I want you. And you said that you would give me you if I did those things. Jacob, I still want you and it's time. You know, Jacob is going to fight the Lord tooth and nail on this, literally, physically. Because in the next chapter over, he's going to fight with God physically. And the Lord's going to say, I, I, from the beginning, all I've wanted is you. Will you stop fighting with me? And at the end of that, Jacob will stop fighting. 
God says, I'm holding you that promise because it's the thing that's most important to me. And then there's in here, and it's God speaking, there's a, there's a colon there, which means a pause. So God lets that reality sink in. I want you, Jacob. But after letting that sink in, <clears throat> then the Lord speaks and he says, it's time to go. Rise, get you out of this land and return to the land of your kindred, your family. So after letting that reality out, I'm after you, Jacob. I'm not letting you get away from that. I want you. He tells him it's time to go. And now having revealed this plan to Rachel and Leah, what's their reaction? Well, verse 14. Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him as strangers? For he has sold us, and he has quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God has taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God has sent unto you, do it. It's always good when you got your wife behind you. Or two. For the first time, these two women look at themselves and they see a common plight rather than a competition. And any way you shake it out, their father viewed them as assets to use rather than beloved daughters. And they see it. They realize it. He had spent all their dowry money. When you would come and you would bring dowry money to, for the bride, it would, the idea was if you ever got rid of her, that that's how you know, their dad would take care of them again. Because the idea, if you ever got rid of a wife, it meant there was something wrong with her. And so no one wanted to touch her with a 10-foot pole. And as a result, that father, if he was going to take her in, it means she would be destitute. She wouldn't be able to work. She wouldn't be able to do anything. So that money was supposed to be set aside and saved in case something happened to him or he put her out so that he could take care of her again. And he had spent every penny of it. He didn't care for them at all. And so they're on board 100%. And they see their prosperity as God righting that wrong. And they said, listen, you go for it. And if there's anything I can tell you guys who are dads and you have daughters out there, listen, They need to know that you care about them. They need to know that they are deeply loved by you. Is it a wonder that these women made so many mistakes in their desperate longing to be loved when they had a father like this? You know, one of the common threads you find in young women who run off, young women who get involved in prostitution, they don't have a dad around. They don't have a father that cared about them, that loved them, you know, and made it known clearly. It's important. If you've got little girls, you let them know that they are your princess. They are loved that they are uniquely special, that God has a beautiful plan for their life and they don't need to settle for some guy, the first guy that pays them any mind, but to find a man who treats them with dignity and respect and value just like you do. That's our job as dads if we have daughters. God help us. (laughs) Verse 17, Jacob at this point now decides, well, God told me to go right away, so I'm gonna go without telling Laban. And so Jacob rose up and right there and he set his wife and his sons and his wives upon camels and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten. He makes it very clear. Jacob didn't take any of Laban's stuff. He didn't steal a thing. And in this, this sense, he figures in his mind, I'm doing justly by Laban. I'm just leaving without telling him. And so he, he uh, which he had gotten in Paddan Aram, verse 18, and his plan is to go to Isaac, his father, in the land of Canaan. So Laban went to shear his sheep, so he actually picks the perfect time. Because not only is Laban three days' journey away, but the sheep shearing festival was this massive celebration. They would drink a lot, and then it would be a party time. And so not only would it be a situation where Jacob would be distracted, but he's already far away, and he figures he can make time and and make his escape and get far enough ahead that Laban could never catch him if he decided to pursue. But there's a problem. Rachel stole the images that belonged to her father. 
These are teraphim. You can uh, go and read books about archaeology and see them. They're little tiny human figurines that they're purchased as good luck talismans. Sometimes they'd be worn on the neck. Or they'd be consulted as oracles. They'd be, you know, pagan deities, of course. And, 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 and so this shows us that while Laban uh, worshipped Jehovah, he was also a, a, an idolater. He, was, he worshipped pagan gods. But the sad part is it shows us that's what Rachel was into as well. Rachel's never described to us as a spiritual woman in the scriptures. Leah is. Um, and here we see that the problems come out, that she was an idolater as well. I don't know if she went back to her dad. I mean, three days, I don't know where she got the idols from. I don't know if she had stolen them previously in the past, and now she's just going to take them with her. I have no clue what it was. But she decides that she's going to take these idols. Uh, maybe she was worried. Maybe she felt like she needed good luck. I don't know what it was. But she steals her father's idols, and that's going to become a sticking point for Laban when he finds out they've left. So verse 20, and Jacob stole away unawares, and the word there means to deceive. He purposely deceived Laban, the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. God never told him to do that. He did not tell him to leave deceptively. God would never have you do that. This is all Jacob, and it creates problems. And so Jacob stole away, and he fled with all that he had, verse 21, and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the mount or the mountain range of Gilead. Gilead is a hilly region in the northeastern part of Israel. Um, it's on the other side of the Jordan. Um, and pretty much it's the northeastern border of the promised land. It's about 300 miles away from Haran. And I think what he's, Jacob's mindset is, if I can get to that point, I'm kind of home. And that means that dad will start to get word and I'll be safe. And so he's thinking, if I can just make it to that point before Laban catches up to me or finds out, he won't pursue. He'll, he'll just, he'll know he can't catch me. So God will judge every person on the earth, even the ones we feel get away with their sins and wrongdoings. But God sees. He sees all our hardship and pain. He is always with us. But if you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.